0: Our New Testament lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, reading from chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. Hear the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, How much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord our old testament reading is from genesis chapter 21 verses 8 to 21. and the child grew and was wearied and abraham made a great feast on the day that isaac was weaned but sarah saw the son of hagar the egyptian whom she had borne to abraham laughing so she said to abraham cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For though Isaac shall your offspring be named, For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with a child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is, up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I think I owe some of you an apology, possibly more of you than I realize. I realized This week after some conversations with folks that I've been using some terms in sermons and other communication that get used differently by different people it depends on the circles you run in and the the sorts of things that you read so I want to take a few moments as we get started to apologize for my assumptions about these terms and the specific uh, specific ways that um, they're used and I want to specify what I mean by them Because what I don't want to do when we are talking about justice and racism and civil unrest and inclusion is to imply that I think we have a congregation full of people who are just going out there every day and discriminating purposely against people of different ethnic or cultural backgrounds or gender or sexuality or anything like that. I am confident that you all believe that God loves all equally and that you try to live that out in your day-to-day lives. What I do want to do is to lift up that there are many systems in our country that started off unfair, often before any of our lifetimes, and today those systems are still hurting people. And the same way that those systems hurt some people, they help others that doesn't automatically make the ones who are helped by them bad people. It just means that those who are helped by the system should be out there speaking up for and uh, standing beside those who are hurt by it and looking for ways together to create change. Some of those systems hurt women and help men. Some of those systems hurt older people and help younger people. Some help the able-bodied and hurt the disabled. Some help straight cisgendered people and hurt the LGBTQ community. Some of them hurt black people and help white people. Often, even once systems are changed or rebuilt or laws repealed, the damage lasts for generations. That's what scripture is talking about when it talks about the sins of the father being laid upon the son. I am a strict pacifist. I think violence is never appropriate. Now we can debate that over coffee sometime if you think I'm too idealistic and you want to take up that conversation, but I just say that right now to clarify that when I talk about protests that are happening, I mean picketing, chanting, prayer vigils, protest music, poetry, art. I understand what might drive one to throw things or take a swing at someone, but that doesn't mean I condone those actions. Racial reconciliation and standing up for our sisters and brothers who are African-American, this is not a political issue. Our divisive system and our alarmist media would like you to make it a political issue, but it's not, it just isn't. When I was interviewed by the committee for this position on the day after the last presidential election, which was, if you remember, quite a controversial one, I was asked point blank, how do you feel about politics in the pulpit? And I said very honestly, that I will never stand in the pulpit and tell you who to vote for or what party to belong to or anything like that but I will also never back down on scriptural issues of justice even if they are something that the politicians in our country are trying to use to divide us. In spite of what they say, neither of our political parties has a great track record when it comes to race relations. They have both screwed it up. This is not me telling you to support a political party or a candidate this is me saying that the racial injustice in our country is a scriptural issue that we should care about regardless of our political affiliation or party galatians three twenty-eight says there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in jesus christ revelation 7 9 talks about the multitude praising god from every nation from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne first corinthians 12 15 through 19 talks about the different parts of the body and how they are all very different and it requires all parts of the body to function first corinthians fourteen ten says there are doubtless many languages in the world and none is without meaning romans twelve sixteen calls us to live in harmony with one another do not be haughty Associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. And Malachi two ten says, "Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faith- faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers?" When you have time later, look up James two one through twenty six, Romans fourteen one through twenty three, Colossians three eleven, like the rest of Revelation, most of the holiness code in Leviticus. The list goes on. This is a scriptural issue, not a political one. When I say systemic racism, I'm talking about those systems that hold some people back, especially black people, but often also those of Asian descent, Latinx people and other racial minorities and allow white people to be unaware of the problems in the system. And that's what I mean when I use the term white privilege. It's just the fact that some of us, myself included, are able to live a life where we can draw the blinds and not see the racial inequality around us. That's not a judgment on anyone. It's just the way the world is. And it doesn't mean that no white people have disadvantages. I have disadvantages because I'm a woman, my dad's got certain disadvantages in the world because he's gay, I have family with certain disadvantages in life because of physical disability, but none of us have to deal with race on top of it. Doesn't make us any better or any worse than anyone else. The world is just unfair and scripture says that God wants the world to be fair and we are to be a part of making that happen. White privilege is only a character flaw if you are explicitly taking advantage of it and discriminating against someone because of the color of their skin. If you are simply unaware of it, or you have a misunderstanding of what people using that term mean, that doesn't make you a bad person. What it means is that it's standing in the way of your full growth and participation in the kingdom though. It's holding you back from fully being who Jesus calls you to be. And as your pastor, it is my sometimes very uncomfortable privilege to help this community figure out how to participate in God's work in God's kingdom and not be held back. And I get it. This has been an exhausting few months in the world, but I think that every so often the church has to be shaken out of its comfort so that we can grow and growing is hard. Sometimes growing hurts. Sometimes it means giving up things that we love, or admitting that we might have been wrong, or we might have missed something. When we look at Matthew 10, our gospel passage today, we see that discipleship promises to be hard on us. There is a cost to following Christ. When are you willing to get uncomfortable and risk conflict by standing up for what's right? When are you willing to be accused Possibly of being too political when an issue of scriptural righteousness and justice comes up. I hear you out there saying, dear pastor, you've quoted a lot of scripture and talked an awful lot so far, but you've barely touched today's lectionary passages. I know. I usually start with the passage of the day and get to the now what after that, but I felt really convicted this week that I haven't been clear enough in my message on this particular issue. And so I flip-flopped the script a little bit this week. I think that my, in my efforts to be kind and gentle in the ways I've addressed recent issues in the world, I've just made things kind of muddy. So I wanted to spend some quality time together to apologize to you for that, and to clarify some things as we move together as a body, one body. And I think that this is all really relevant to our passage from Genesis. So let's take a few minutes to look at Genesis now. Abraham's family was a hot mess. The Cliff's Note version is that he was promised by God to be the father of a nation. He and his wife, had no children. They got old. They panicked. And taking matters into their own hands instead of waiting for God's timing, they had a real bad plan. With Sarah's full permission, Abraham had a baby with her servant girl Hagar. Now interestingly, Hagar is the first woman in the Bible that God talks to about her pregnancy. Sit with that. But that's a little bit beside the point. Eventually, in God's timing, Sarah does have a baby. We talked about that last week when we talked about seeing the narratives from a different perspective. And like in any good soap opera, after all this happened, there's jealousy and family discord. Depending on how you read it, either Sarah or Hagar's son Ishmael have been made to be the bad guy in the story. It's possible that laughing at meant Ishmael was bullying or abusing Isaac in some way. It's also possible that Sarah just wanted him out so her son wouldn't have competition for inheritance and respect. Regardless, the whole family was a dysfunctional disaster and bad stuff happened. And it all traced back to Abraham not trusting God's promise to provide for all of God's people. Isaac and Ishmael are two brothers raised to see each other in a particular way because of the sins of their parents, the ones who came before them, Isaac and Ishmael brothers sharing one father and yet raised up in two very different worlds, one favored, one cast out one with everything he needed handed to him. The other sent out to fend for himself in the desert. When we look at Hagar and Ishmael in the desert, the prospect is grim. Hagar is certain that she and her son have no hope. She is so distraught that she turns and walks away from the child because she can't stand to watch him die. That is a despair I cannot even imagine. She has been forced to be Abraham's second wife and bear his child. Then she has been cast out to die with her own child. But at this time, when the people who should have been caring for her and her son left her out in the desert, ignored her, told her to fend for herself, God heard her son crying out. He heard that child cry. And when the people of God, Abraham, Sarah and Isaac, did not come to save this child dying in the desert, none other than our very God intervened on their behalf. The world is messy. It's been messy since the beginning and in that messiness, people get hurt. People get left out in the desert. And in the desert, God hears cries of distress. God hears the lament of those who are sent to the outside. Black mothers across our country, including some very dear women in my life who have helped to raise me up into ministry are hurting for their community and their families. They feel like Hagar, cast out by those in power to fend for themselves and possibly watch their children die. In his last moments, George Floyd cried for his mother. That could have been my son Brandon crying out for me. This isn't political. This is personal. This isn't about politicians or public figures. It's about taking the scripture to heart and walking the path of discipleship, even when it's unpopular or difficult or uncomfortable. Jesus didn't promise easy. So the questions that we must ask ourselves now to investigate where God might be working in the world and how we might get on board with God's work are... How have we, like Abraham and Sarah, cast Hagar and Ishmael out? How have we, like Isaac, watched our brother cast out into the desert? When have we failed to seek reconciliation for the sins of our forefathers? When have we left people to fend for themselves in the desert out of fear there won't be enough for all of us? How do we Instead challenge society when it mistreats those in the margins These are not easy questions There's going to be some cross bearing associated with this growth These questions often have uncomfortable answers and that's okay. We're not going to be perfect at this but where we find God is in the desert with those who are feeling left out and in despair Let's all stop and take a deep breath together. (sighs) I know this is overwhelming. And if I had easy answers, I would conclude my sermon with them right now and tie it up in three easy points. If anyone else out there had easy answers, I would gladly refer you out to them. I would love to wrap this all up with a neat little Brady Bunch conclusion. But what I will offer is a starting point. Regardless of your political affiliation or leaning, your experience with (coughs) racial justice or discrimination, or your lack thereof, your family history, the neighborhood you're from, whatever, I very strongly urge you to join Tim and I in an ongoing discussion on a scriptural response to issues of race in our country. You might think we don't have a race problem in our country. That's fine, show up anyway. Maybe you marched for civil rights in the 60s, great. You have some relevant, important experience and wisdom that you can add to the conversation. And I'll bet there's still some things that you could learn too. You might've been taught like I was when I was a child that Martin Luther King Jr. Fixed Racism forever, forever and the Civil Rights Movement Ended It. We're going to center the conversation around the speeches and letters and sermons from Martin Luther King Jr. that are in this book I showed you earlier. Uh, someone who I think we can all agree was a great man and a heck of a preacher and a good role model for us all. We're going to start this on July 8th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. It will be Wednesday evenings there will be details out soon about this you'll be able to log in via video conference or call in on the phone like with our other studies and uh, group discussions if you haven't tried it before i will walk you through it call me we'll figure it out together and for those of you who need some calming balance while trying to understand the messiness of the world by talking about race and the book of revelation (laughs) We're going to keep having morning prayer three days a week. Go center yourself there. We're going to continue our weekly fellowship lunches with no motive other than to sit down and chat with each other while we eat our lunch. We can't solve the world's problems in a tidy way, but we can make sure that we are taking on the difficult work of the church and also caring for our souls. It's a messy world and it's God's world. It's our job as citizens of God's kingdom to bear witness to the message of freedom and life to all. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are to be the hands and feet of God's justice and compassion. And today, this crazy, overwhelming, weird, difficult time in history gives us the golden opportunity to do just that. Amen.